Well, hello, and thanks for joining me for the Aerospace Unplugged podcast, brought to you by Honeywell Aerospace. I'm your host, Adam Kress, and this is your behind-the-scenes look into all things aerospace. Now, we have a very cool show set for you guys today. I'm going to be joined by Dan Siesel, an offering management lead at Honeywell in our performance materials and technologies business. He's an experienced, advanced biofuels professional with more than a decade of experience working in renewable fuels. He'll be our first guest today. Now batting second here in the lineup is going to be David Shilliday. He's the vice president and general manager of our power systems business in Honeywell Aerospace. He leads that business unit, which focuses primarily on manufacturing auxiliary power units for aircraft. He'll also be talking about the latest in sustainable fuels and how our aerospace business is leveraging them. Now on the topic of sustainable fuels overall, we're going to dive in on how your company might be able to benefit from these fuels and why Honeywell's auxiliary power units have begun to run on them. But before we get started, if you're new to this podcast, don't forget to follow this show and share this episode with someone. We have a great show set for you today, and the next few episodes we have planned also cover some very interesting topics. So without further ado, let's welcome in our first guest, Dan Cecil. How are you doing today, Dan? I'm good, Adam. Thank you for having me. All right. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for joining us today. So let's dive right into uh, the topic of sustainable fuels. There's different areas of Honeywell that are are working together on this, and this is a good example of it between uh, the PMT business and also aerospace. So let's explore your story a little bit first. How did you get into sustainability and ultimately into sustainable um, uh, aircraft and aerospace fuel? Sure. So I started getting interested in sustainability back in the mid-2000s, maybe 05, 06, as the conversations around climate change started, started to become more popular and more uh, present in, in everyday conversation. And it was my interest in that, and, and specifically in the energy space, that brought me towards renewable fuels. So I was, I was uh, back in the late 2000s, I was working uh, around uh, industries with carbon credits as well as with renewable fuels. And I found that my background and my interests fit very well with developing new technologies for advanced biofuels in particular. So, you know, I I worked for a few years for a couple of different companies, but ended up joining Honeywell back in 2014, specifically in our renewable fuels group. Uh, So what are some of the issues of traditional fuel that make specifically sustainable aviation fuel um, kind of a path toward the future? Sure. So sustainable aviation fuel is really the the hot topic right now uh, across the refining industry and across, I believe, the aerospace industry as well. And the main attraction to using sustainable aviation fuel is that it it is a solution that is available today for reducing the amount of emissions related to aviation travel. So the fact that we can produce sustainable aviation fuel today that is effectively identical to its petroleum counterpart and can be used as a drop-in replacement for petroleum fuel in airplanes right now. So it's really a great method for airlines as well as private aircraft to reduce the amount of greenhouse gases that occur during travel. And and we have customers today that are operating Honeywell technology to produce sustainable aviation fuel that is being used by airlines today and can be used going forward. Okay, let let me ask you this, kind of, you know, from a layman's perspective, why hasn't Sustainable aviation fuel been around a long time. So it's, it's, it's a relatively modestly new technology. It's, uh, we've had commercial technology in this space uh, for the last uh, six, eight years or so. 
So the, the ULP Ecofining technology was originally co-developed with our partner ENI of Italy. And we started this technology development back in the late 2000s, concentrating specifically on renewable transportation diesel fuel, so strictly for road transport. But as we realized uh, and looked at the process, we also realized that it could be altered for producing sustainable aviation fuel. And starting with uh, in 2010, 2011 timeframe, we worked specifically with the ASTM accreditation partners to certify sustainable aviation fuel for use in commercial aircraft. And this led to the development of the first commercial aviation fuel facility in the world, which is based just outside of Los Angeles. And this facility uses the, the Honeywell technology for producing sustainable aviation fuel. The difference between sustainable aviation fuel and traditional petroleum jet fuel uh, is that we're using 100% uh, renewable feedstocks as the basis to convert those into jet fuel. So the technology that we use is actually quite similar to traditional petroleum refining technology, but we're actually starting with a completely different feedstock. And those are, are typically uh, sustainable feeds such as used cooking oil or animal fats, and sometimes also crop-based oils like soybean oils or canola oil. Okay. Well, that was my next question. What exactly goes into the sustainable fuel? And he kind of just answered that, but then who else is, is producing this? Is this an exclusive Honeywell thing? So we offer what we believe to be the best technology in this space, but there are some other alternatives as well as a number of new developments in this area that, that start with a different type of feedstock than, than what we're using commercially today. So there, there are a couple of other producers right now that produce uh, modestly small volumes of sustainable aviation fuel in different locations around the world. But it, we do expect to see a significant increase in the amount of production capacity going forward because it is such a, a high interest topic, both in, in North America as well as in Europe. Okay, so what would it take if I'm an airline or maybe a, a, a private jet operator, if I wanted to switch over from traditional fossil fuels to sustainable aviation fuel? So from an operations perspective, there's nothing. So it, it's really a, a drop-in replacement for up to 50% of, of the current aviation fuel blend. And, and honestly, because the supply is in such limited amounts today, um, reaching up to those higher blend levels is not really an issue. I think what, what's, what would be involved is that um, you would have to make arrangements with a, pr a producer of the sustainable aviation fuel. Uh, and arrange for a purchase contract directly from them or from one of their uh, supply partners in the space. So th there are a number of active participants today that are working with a couple of the uh, current producers to be able to bring sustainable aviation fuel to a number of airports worldwide. Okay, so what do you think it'll take to get to um, more toward mass adoption of this technology? So th there's a couple of things, and, and they're actually occurring right now. So I think number one has been uh, a real change in the interest in sustainability around aviation travel. And I think this has occurred from a, a grassroots level, both by the passengers as well as by, by the airlines themselves. And their interest in using these types of fuels has, has generated interest from uh, the petroleum refiners as well as independent project developers to begin developing projects to produce SAF. And so that together has, has, I think, created an atmosphere here where we're seeing at Honeywell a lot of different interests around the world from people who want to build new facilities to produce sustainable aviation fuel. And I think there, there, there's twofold benefits to that. Um, one, of course, is that we bring more sustainable aviation fuel to the marketplace, but two, we potentially are able to reduce the cost of sustainable aviation fuel 
to make it more usable by airlines worldwide. Okay, that's great. You, you touched on this just a little bit earlier, but one more question. Can you talk a little bit about the, the eco-fining process that was specifically developed? Sure. So the eco-fining process was originally developed with our, our partner ENI of Italy, and it was originally developed specifically for uh, transportation road diesel. Uh, it, it is similar, but not the same uh, to a traditional hydro processing technology that you would see when processing uh, petroleum fuels. So what we were able to do is with some uh, slight modifications to that process and, and how that process is operated at refineries, you can actually change the uh, types of products that come out of the back end of our technology. So instead of producing, for example, 100% renewable diesel fuels, you can alter that to produce maybe 50% diesel and 50% sustainable aviation fuel, or potentially uh, change the process to produce 100% sustainable aviation fuel. So it's, it's, it's something that we've put into commercial practice now uh, five years ago and continue to modify and improve to reduce the operating cost for, as well as increase the amount of sustainable aviation fuel that can be produced. Okay, excellent. Well, Dan, it's been a pleasure and it's been very educational. I appreciate you taking the time with us today. Great. Thank you, Adam. Appreciate the time. Second up on the show today is Dave Shilliday. Uh, I have some interesting questions for you here on the heels of what uh, Dan just taught us. But let's start a little bit about just hearing about your background, how you came to Honeywell, and uh, talk a little bit about the business that you lead. Excellent. So I'm Dave Shilliday. I lead the power systems business for Honeywell Aerospace. Without a doubt, the coolest portfolio of business we have within Aero. Um, it includes our legacy auxiliary power business. Think of secondary power um, as well as power generation, things like generators, power distribution. Um, it also includes a lot of interesting stuff that we're going to get to here shortly. Mm -hmm. um, before I came to Honeywell Aerospace, I was an engineer in the automotive industry for about a decade, doing uh, working on some disruptive technology there. Okay, great. We're going to talk a lot about APUs today. And I know within Honeywell, APU is an acronym that everybody knows. But um, uh, for those the listeners out there who may not know what an APU is, where it is on a plane and where it does. Why don't you just break that down for us? Sure. Bit. An auxiliary power unit in its simplest form is power on demand. So whether the application is emergency power needed for some specific part of the mission or a, a secondary source of power, if you just need to run the avionics or a particular part of the aircraft when the engines aren't running, it provides that solution for you. Typically in your air transport aircraft that most of us fly on, it's in the tail cone of the airplane mm -hmm. and you can feel it running when the air aircraft is cool here mm -hmm. in the uh, Phoenix tarmac. <laughs> yeah, that uh, keeps you hopefully not too sweaty when you board the plane and it's uh, 110 degrees. And if you're miserable sure. on those flights, feel free to encourage them to run the APU. We're, we're <laughs> big fans of that. If they're being cheap, yeah, turn on the APU. All right, um, well, tell us a little bit about the, the technology Honeywell is working on um, to promote sustainability, particularly with APUs and other power systems. Yeah. So, so when I think about it, I, we put it in sort of three buckets relative to timeline. And so right now there are solutions we have. Um, our, our current set of production APUs can all run on 50% sustainable aviation fuel. Step one is moving all of those APUs to be able to run on hundred percent sustainable aviation fuel. That's, that's, um, using the existing technology, we've got tens of thousands of our APUs out there in the fleet. That's an immediate benefit you could make without a significant change to that hardware. 
We also have reliability and fuel efficiency upgrades for those same APUs. Again, tens of thousands of them out there mm -hmm. in the fleet. You can improve reliability. You can improve fuel burn today with some software changes. So that's just low hanging fruit that we can go make mm -hmm. the world uh, more sustainable today. Next phase, you've got things we're doing such as uh, electric propulsion. We have a cooperation with a company called Denso in Japan, where we develop electric motors, gearboxes, and propulsion systems for new UAM and UAS vehicles. So think of a completely green uh, new aircraft, whether you think about Lilium or Joby or Archer, or some of these vehicles you've seen out there in the press. Um, we're providing the, the, the propulsion solutions for those aircraft. Um, next. Um, and I've got way too many of them, is uh, hybrid, hybrid electric. As we think about aircraft architectures moving away from traditional gas turbine power to more of a, a, a mix of gas turbine and electric power, we have hybrid uh, solutions that the power systems team is developing. And last but not least, so exciting, uh, fuel cells. So within the power systems portfolio, we acquired a company called uh, Ballard Unmanned that has experience in both developing fuel cells and integrating fuel cells into aerospace applications. So as I said, without a doubt, the coolest portfolio within aero. Okay. If you turn back the clock a little bit, um, what were some of the reasons why we decided to start running APUs 50% on the sustainable fuel? What was the, the impetus for it all starting? Yeah, so, so we could see back when these APUs were designed that this was a need that, that aviation was going to have to move towards uh, mm -hmm. a, a greener solution. So we, we designed with that in mind. Um, what's happening right now is that regulation and, and necessary and appropriate market pressures are accelerating that drive towards more sustainable solutions. So, so we clearly had that objective early on, and really it's the market catching up with that need. Okay. So how has that impacted that, you know, kind of, you know, groundswell, um, you know, particularly within aviation with, you know, kind of, you know, some external pressures, you know, you see in the press and stuff with a, with a push toward greening and being more sustainable. How has that affected um, the work that you and your team do within Honeywell and how is that maybe pushed development toward things like fuel cells and sustainable aviation fuel? I, it, to some extent, it, it accelerates it because there's funding available and, and customer adoption has moved in, right? Mm -hmm. We've had these solutions for a number of years. Part of it is that customers are saying, maybe I'm going to move that new aircraft architecture up some mm -hmm. amount of time because I see an immediate need or I see some regulatory pressure um, pushing me there. The more interesting element is we're also seeing some of the virtuous circle where the more bandwidth and the more technology development you do in green solutions, the more it opens the aperture, mm -hmm. right? You start to get scale, you start to get manufacturing and technology expertise in these areas, and suddenly the art of what's possible start, expands on us. So we're also starting to feel the second order effects of work that's been done before. Okay, makes sense. If you were to, to kind of... Um you know, almost act as a, as a spokesperson for the entire aviation industry uh, fr from a greening and sustainability perspective, what do you think are the most important things to focus on that would really make an impact? So, so number one is how do we make the current fleet more efficient, right? How do we take those tens of thousands of aircraft that are flying today and make them more fuel efficient, whether it's through use of 100% staff 
or flight efficiency upgrades that allow them to be more efficient in the path from point A to point B that allows them to burn less fuel. Um, all those things we can apply without a step change in the, in the hardware that's being used. And so at a time when airline costs are, are very sensitive, right, it's squeezing more out of the fleet we've got. Then it becomes about what's the timing of those next aircraft and how do we make sure that our solutions that are going to be significantly disruptive in that area, right, moving towards those, those guidelines, those 2050 uh, targets of emission-free aviation, um, how do we make sure that we have the right technologies available to support those future aircraft? Okay. I know recently the FAA awarded about $20 million in grants that would help reduce emissions and, and improve air quality at airports across the country. So what, what are some of the types of things that those funds are, are earmarked for and what kind of impact can they make? Yeah, so, so some of what they're using it for are the things I described, such as more efficient uh, flight planning, mm -hmm. which again, I, I think is, is, it's very, very simple, right? If you spend less time getting from point A to point mm -hmm. B, burn less fuel, we think that's a great solution. Well, um, you, you know, let me interrupt you real quick. A lot of people probably don't realize this, or maybe they've experienced this while they've been flying. Eh, sometimes you're circling, sometimes there's heavy traffic. What, what, what are the main causes for not just getting directly from point A airport to point B airport? Where's the waste in there? Um, often it can be weather um, and some things that are more difficult to manage, but they do have flight optimization, things that can, man that, that can uh, work around weather. Um, and second is management at the airport, right? How do we keep aircraft from backing up so that, that the planes can take off and land as scheduled? So, so whether it's flight efficiency solutions or air traffic management solutions, both of those things really keep you from, from having to waste time and fuel in the air. Mm -hmm. Do you think you'll see um, an increased, I guess, amount of uh, whether it be funding or, or external pressure that's going to be uh, filtering into the aviation sector to help these green and sustainable efforts? Yeah. Um, you know, going back to some of that money that's been earmarked, whether it whether it gets applied to those flight efficiency efforts, whether it gets applied to um, the, the changes that might be required to move fuel delivery systems at the airport towards 100% sustainable aviation fuel, whether it's tax incentives so that, that it brings down the cost of using sustainable aviation fuel, all those things really will help accelerate this uh, within the market. So, so I think all of the um, regulatory commitments and the dollars they've put behind it will help move all of those solutions along faster. Okay. We, we've talked about sustainable aviation fuel, other technologies that will help um, you know, reduce emissions and, and things across aviation. But if we look at, at Honeywell and its sustainable goals as a whole, I know the company is, has made a pledge um, to, to operate sustainably by 2030, which is, you know, barely eight short years away. Talk a little bit about, uh, you know, the company's goals and how all this aviation technology plays into it. So I, I think at its heart, you get people spending more time and attention on sustainability as a topic. And the more smart people we have um, thinking about the art of the possible there, you get into that virtuous circle that I described where yeah. new ideas that come through our own experience or through those people who help us achieve our own goals as a company, then grow to the next solution and the next solution. So everything uh, builds upon that and, and helps open the art of the possible. Um, so, so that along with the fact that our engineers, our business people, 
um, start to focus on it as a key priority for the company, which again, like anything else, the more time and attention you give it, the, the greater the impact you find. Okay, excellent. Uh, we've covered a lot, but any, any last thoughts? Yeah, just, just one, um, and, and it's gonna seem very uh, intuitive, but, but one thought that, that constantly occurs is um, these sort of Band-Aid type solutions. There are a lot of things you can do that, that feel good sort of short term. A lot of what we're focused on from a technology perspective is not only how do we squeeze more out of the existing infrastructure, but how do we build that bridge towards very sustainable um, outcomes so that we're not doing things that look good for a couple years or a few years and then end up in a landfill. What we want to do is invest in those solutions that 20 and 30 years from now, um, really, we look back on and say those are the foundation for how we got to these sustainability goals. All right. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for coming today, Dave. Very interesting conversation. And thanks to all our listeners for joining the podcast today as well. I hope you learned something new on this episode of Aerospace Unplugged. Thanks again to Dan and Dave for being here with us, and we'll catch you on the next episode. Have a great day.